Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me there. If you don't have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to grab one off the hymnal shelf in front of you or to use your phone or your tablet. If you're watching online, you might open up another window on your browser there and find uh, John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading selected verses out of John 4, verses 7 through 15, 25 through 30, and 39 through 42. Out of reverence for the Word of God, would you stand with me now uh, as we listen together for the Word of God? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and we, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And now verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then verse 39 Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed here two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are a faithful and a pursuing God. We thank you that no matter where we are, what we've done, or what the story is that we tell ourselves, that you long to bubble up in us living eternal water. And so come Holy Spirit now, and in these moments, teach us and shape us and form us that we might know you, that we might open ourselves to you, that we might break through the resistance to know you more fully. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Our world is a strange and complex place. Now, I'm not just saying that because yesterday Auburn won a football game by 50 points and Alabama only won by 30. I'm speaking on a much larger level that our world is a mixed up place full of pain and brokenness. You don't need me to tell you that. You didn't come to church for me to recount all of the things that you see on the news. All you have to do is turn the TV on for just a few minutes and you can see quickly that we're inundated with pain and brokenness and hardship all around us. Just start with this COVID pandemic now into 18 months at least that we've been affected here in the U.S., I read something just recently that said the numbers have gone up in such a way that now almost every single person in the world knows at least one person who has died because of COVID-19. We see the pain and the impact that this has had in so many ways, not just in our physical lives and in the relationships that we have with other people, but the way it's impacted all around the globe, the economic structures and all kinds of things. And we just see that there's so much hurt and pain around this. You could extrapolate out of the COVID struggle and look at the way people have treated each other and the way we've exposed the, the hurts and pains in our own lives, how uh, we've ended up arguing with people we love that we aren't able to see people that we disagree with in the same way anymore, that it's become such a divisive thing in so many places. And as I reflect on that, all I can stop and think about is just how much pain and brokenness there is in our world. It's not just in the COVID world. You can uh, look at the Middle East. You can see the deep desire for peace and the desire to see uh, people put down arms and stop fighting. You can look at refugees streaming out of a country longing to be taken in and cared for. And if you stop and think about it on a human perspective, if you allow empathy to play a role in it, all you can do is say there is so much pain and brokenness in the world. You can look at just the weather that we've experienced in the last week uh, from hurricanes coming on shore in the Gulf that turn into raging rains, that turn into floods, uh, that bring loss of life and destruction and pain. I read about a town in Louisiana just this week that as Hurricane Ida went through, it was the fourth hurricane that they've endured in the last 12 months. They're distraught and broken and in pain. And despite all that pain and brokenness, God continues to offer an invitation. Despite the world being filled with pain and brokenness that's not just out there, but begins to impact us, that we can feel that's even present in the church as we seek to try and live in the midst of the pandemic and emerge after a long shutdown that was difficult and hard and all these things. In the midst of that pain and brokenness, God continues to offer an invitation. Essentially what He says is that all who will may enter. Uh, that what he offers is life, that what he gives is peace. I love the very end of the book of Revelation where it ends by the, the Spirit saying that all who are thirsty can come and they will receive free of charge the living water. I love Jesus' words in John chapter 10 that say, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And yet, if we're really serious about all the pain and brokenness in the world, and if we're serious about the pain and brokenness that we see in the church, there is a disconnect somewhere. Because the invitation of God is that He would give us a life that would help us manage and walk through pain and brokenness in new ways. That we wouldn't find ourselves captive to the things that the world around us are captive to. And yet what we see is that both inside the church and outside the church, that it seems like there's an increasing amount of pain and brokenness and not a lessening. 
I think there's several reasons that this could happen. And uh, one of those is that, that I think that the invitation that God offers in our world today is, is heard less than it's ever been heard before. Uh, when I moved here this summer, I came from a town where we had done some research in our community trying to find out what it would look like for us to fulfill the mission of the church in our community. And we found that six in ten houses in the community that I lived in had no connection to a local church. Uh, I've done a little research to try and find out what that number looks like in Opelika, and it might be a little better than it was where I came from, uh, but at best, it's probably five in ten houses. And, and so there's a whole realm of people in our community that are waking up this morning that aren't thinking about the love of God, that aren't even aware of God's love, that, that may have heard the message before but tuned it out, but in some ways have no interest or understanding that there is a God who promises a living water that will well up inside of you, that will help uh, mitigate pain and brokenness in your life, and that will bring you to a place that will supersede anything you can do on your own. One of the things I love about uh, First United Methodist Church and the way that this church is tackling a project like renovating this sanctuary uh, is that the sanctuary renovation isn't transactional. It's not something on a big church to-do list somewhere just to go, we just got to check that off so we can get on with life, uh, that it's really become a transformational thing. As I've listened across this church, I've heard stories over and over again of the reason to renovate the sanctuary isn't just to make it nicer for us, but that we might become a launching pad, that this might become a place where a new generation of people would feel comfortable, that they could walk in the doors, that they would feel at home, and they could hear that invitation that says there is a life, there is a way that is better than the pain and brokenness that the world throws at us everywhere we go. The other thing that, that, we, that we face when we really think about the pain and brokenness of our world is that the message of Jesus is a message that, especially in the church, but also for unchurched, is a message of over-familiarity. You know, over-familiarity breeds, uh, or, or familiarity breeds uh, over-familiarity. It breeds contempt. It breeds uninterest. And what seems to happen, especially in the church, is that over and over again, when it comes to talking about the way of Jesus, when it comes to talking about the life that Jesus offers, when it comes to thinking about things like living waters that will spring up and literally recreate and re-identify you, that we tend to reach this place in the church where we say, oh, we've heard that. And so we shift into kind of this distant autopilot mode where we say, oh, I know those answers. And we kind of shift out of engaging that God might possibly want to do something new in you, that God might possibly long to be bringing forth a new type of life or a new wholeness that you haven't known yet. I think for many people in our world today, what we've equated the message of Jesus to is preparation for when we die. That essentially the way that we see Jesus and the message of Jesus and all the things that we do in the church is really about just trying to tilt some cosmic scale. That when we die, that we'll, we'll be judged by some cosmic gatekeeper to be good enough to make the cut. If we live our lives that way, where we see Jesus as just a preparation for what's going to happen when we die, then we squeeze God out of our everyday life because we don't need him. Because essentially what we do is we live thinking, am I doing enough to make the cut? And then we don't worry about anything that God might want to do now. All the while, there's this promise that says, I have come, that you have life. There's these texts, like the living water text that I just read, that says that God will bring forth in us something new. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it that's stopping us from receiving that message? I love the way that Dallas Willard says it. When he says, it's good to know that when I die, all will be well. But is there any good news for life? If I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs than good insurance on one that doesn't. Can I not have both? 
God offers us life. He offers us living water. He longs to well up in us something that isn't just good for the future, but is good for today. That is a life that will lead us in the midst of a world that's full of pain and brokenness, that will help us live in a way that we're not captive to those things that the world around us might be too. It's with all of that in mind, with this whole story of our world, with the story of our church, with what we tend to find when we think about the message of Jesus, that over these next few weeks, as we kind of start the fall season in official capacity, that I want us to take and have a a reintroduction, if you will, to Jesus. Uh, For some of you, this may be the first time that you've ever thought about Jesus in any kind of deep way, that that you've uh, done more than just kind of check the box to go, yep, that's the church thing, that's what they talk about. For others of you, what you'll have to do is to to hold off any assumptions or preconceived ideas you have, to say, I want to engage this again, Uh, to say, what is it that God might want to do in my life now? To say, where is it that God is working in a way to bring forth that living water? that I might find today a wholeness and a life and a vibrancy that I haven't known, that God may want to do something new. To do that, we're going to work through part of the gospel of John over these next few weeks because it's in that gospel that we see Jesus introduce himself to the world in probably the most forthright ways. Jesus actually talks about his character and what he's about and what the promises he makes are and what it is that he does. Uh, And one of the things that we're all going to face is a sense to build a wall and resist. And in the text that I read just a few minutes ago, we see uh, some of the best picture of how we might respond when we find ourselves resisting. John was probably Jesus' closest friend. And what we see as we track through the, the gospel is a story of someone who was tracking with everything that Jesus said. John had probably already come to believe and was putting his faith in Jesus in very real ways. But it wasn't until after Jesus' death and resurrection that something happened inside of John to go, I've got to write this down. Uh, Jesus was an amazing teacher before the the resurrection. Jesus had done amazing miracles before the resurrection. But after the resurrection, it caused John to say, we need to capture this story in a way that we can hand it to other people. Because what Jesus has done by, by defeating the grave, by defeating sin, by showing that there is nothing that can stop him, has validated everything he's ever said. And so he began to record the things that he had heard Jesus say, the interactions that Jesus has had along the way. And one of the interactions that he records is the text that I read just a few minutes ago. Back in the the biblical times in the first century, uh, the people of Samaria and the people of Judea, the Jews, uh, would have uh, hated each other with just an incredible passion. I mean, you can think of your uh, favorite football rivalry and think how uh, much you dislike that other team, Uh, and this is like 10 times that. I mean, this would have been just utter hatred. Uh, And the reason is because they had both wanted the same things. Uh, These people had worshipped the same God. They had uh, believed that they were on the same page. Then they began to disagree with each other. And rather than being able to work it out, this may sound a little bit like COVID, they just said, well, we'll just pretend you don't exist and we'll live here. And and so what began to happen is that they just ignored each other, Uh, that they lived in the same area, but they had no interactions with each other and they hated each other. Uh, And so if there was a Jew that was in South uh, Judea and he wanted to go to North Judea, uh, rather than walk through Samaria, he would literally walk around. Uh, They would not walk through their land. They would not interact. They would not go in their cities. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus is traveling with his disciples and Jesus won't have anything to do with these power and structures that the world creates that says this is how we make the world work. Now, that's something that all of us can take home, whether we take anything else home today or not, is that Jesus looks at the world we live in and says, I'm not playing any part of that. 
uh, that I don't get conformed to the ways that you've made the world work on your terms. I don't get conformed to your political parties. I don't get conformed to the way you're dealing with COVID. I don't get conformed to this because Jesus is a pursuing God and he is on a mission to give life. And so when Jesus comes and he needs to make his way from South Judea to North Judea, you know what he does? He walks with confidence straight through the middle of Samaria. He says, I'm not playing any part of that. And so he and his disciples are traveling through this region where he knows that people may not like him, or, but, but he says, I'm about something bigger. I'm not getting caught in that. And they've been traveling and making their way all the way up through this hot, dusty countryside when they reach a point that it comes time for a rest stop. And just like you would if you were traveling down the interstate, you saw that great blue sign that said rest area. They pulled in, and at the rest areas of that day, there would be a well right there. And so they pull in, and they stop at the well, and Jesus and his disciples, they get out of their minivan or whatever it is they're traveling in. Uh, and it, Jesus says, I'm going to sit here in the shade by the well, and the disciples say, we're going to run over to that Wendy's and get some value meals, and we'll bring them back. Uh, and so Jesus is like, good, I'll just rest right here. It'll be wonderful. And so he's hanging out. They get in the van. They drive off to get the Wendy's and come back. And, and so they're sitting there, and no sooner uh, had the disciples left than a woman, a Samaritan woman, walks up to this well where Jesus is sitting. Now, in that day and age, there couldn't be a person that would be more rejected by a Jewish man than this woman. She had three strikes against her before she ever even opened her mouth. Uh, the first reason is that she was Samaritan. The second reason is that she was a woman. And in that culture, men didn't often uh, interact with women in public. And third, as we would find out later in John chapter 4, she was a serial adulterer. Now, I think there's another interesting thing that we need to stop right here. Because I think a lot of us have a story that we tell ourselves that says that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. That if you knew where I had been, if you knew what I had done, if you knew the stories I've told about myself or that I believed about myself, Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. And we begin to live in this mindset that says, I better clean myself up so that maybe I'll end up being good enough to make the cut. And what we see if we look here and apply this to our own story is that Jesus has no hesitancy about engaging this woman. He is not concerned about the story she's telling herself. He is not concerned about the story that the world is telling about her. He is a pursuing God that wants to give life. And in your life too, no matter what story you've said, no matter what you've believed about yourself, there is nothing that stops Jesus from wanting to pursue you, to help you find that living water in a new way that will bring forth those springs of abundance and vibrancy that will counteract the brokenness and the peace, or the brokenness and the hurt of this world. And so immediately we see Jesus engage her. And the way that he engages her is the first thing is he asks if she would do a favor for him. She says, would you be so kind as to give me a drink of water? Now, it's interesting because you can watch the interchange that this woman has with Jesus. And you can begin to think about your own life and the way that we might interact with Jesus. And the very first thing that Jesus begins to approach her to do, uh, she kind of throws up a, a stop sign. I was like, eh. and she plays the victim a little bit. Like, uh, you shouldn't be talking to me. Uh, this ain't going to work. You know, we're not supposed to be, be here. And so she kind of resists what Jesus is doing. Now, if Jesus had been, you know, a, soul, uh, a culturally appropriate social person of the 21st century, he would have been like, oh, my bad, and he would have just shifted into small talk. And they would have made small talk for a little while, and when the disciples got back, he would have gotten back in his car, and they would have moved on, and he left. But that's not who Jesus is. And so Jesus sees her kind of victimhood and her stopping and pressing back, and he says, no, this is where the story actually begins to change. Because Jesus says, I'm not going to get derailed here. I'm going to continue to pursue you. 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, she kind of says this and she says, look, if you really knew who was asking, you'd be asking me for living water, which that in and of itself is kind of cryptic. I mean, you think about this lady who's come and she's like, I'm just trying to get water where no one will make fun of me. And you're like, I've got living water and all this. And so she's a, it's a little incredulous at this point to go, who are you? And why are you saying these things to me? I, I wonder if that's true in our own lives. I mean, if you think about your own experience with Jesus, or, or maybe you even think about what you're hearing this morning of this idea that Jesus longs to do more in you. That maybe the way we've interacted with the gospel, the way that we've lived in relationship with God, isn't the fullness of what God wants. The first time we hear the pursuit of Jesus, it often comes across as an inconvenience and a nuisance. That here Jesus offers something to her that makes no sense. That she doesn't even understand what he's talking about. Uh, And so rather than engage with it, she pushes back again and is like, this is crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Look, I just want to get some water. And she's like, if you've got some living water that'll help me not have to come back to the well until tomorrow, give it to me and I'll get on out of here. And so they go back and forth. Every time that Jesus pursues her, she resists. Every time that she pursues. And finally, Jesus kind of pulls the curtain back and says, let me tell you what I know about your life. And she lays out, he lays out for her that he knows every sin, every struggle, every adulterous relationship she's been in, everything that she's been through. She, she lays it all out. And all of a sudden she's like, wow. And even in that moment, she still resists. It's really amazing uh, because Jesus clearly shows her that he knows everything about her. And her go-to re- response is still to resist to say, I'm not sure. And then she gets into a theological argument with him. Uh, You can just hear some Baptists and some Methodists out on the corner uh, somewhere in downtown Opelika having this conversation that they would be just about to agree on some incredible thing that the Spirit of God is doing or that the kingdom of God coming on earth is. And then they go, oh, wait, well, we baptize like this. And we baptize, and and before you know it, it's all gone. You can hear the needle scratch across the record and you're like, that game is over. Because all of a sudden it becomes about theology and they forget the difference in the life that Jesus is trying to make. Finally, it's only after this has gone so long that Jesus is like, look, I've got to make the point really, really clear. Because what the woman said is that someday that Messiah will come and he'll be the one who will set all of this straight. And he says, that Messiah that you're longing for, I am he. Immediately, any good Samaritan or any good Jew would hear that and they would be taken back to that burning bush where for the first time the voice of God shows up and they said, well, what name should we call you? And that voice out of that bush says, I am. And when Jesus says, I am he, immediately there would have been this sense of something bigger than myself is happening. I think as we look at this text, there's a lesson for you and me to learn. And that is that despite our resistance, Jesus longs for us to have life. Despite our resistance, Jesus longs for us to have life. We can throw up every roadblock or excuse or story that we want to tell, and Jesus is still going to pursue that we might come to the place of letting him in in a new way. Something happened in that story in that moment. Uh, The text doesn't tell us exactly what it was, uh, but we can see that the difference immediately came. Because here's this woman who had been shamed and ridiculed by her community. Uh, And as soon as she embraced Jesus and let him in in a new way, she begins to go and find the people who had been making fun of her and shaming her and ridiculing and bringing them back saying, you have to come and encounter this one that I've met. Immediately that living water began to bubble up inside of her in a new way. She began to feel a freedom and an aliveness that she had not known before. I'm convinced that part of what happened That if we were going to describe it in a succinct way, it would be that she learned to listen different. 
We all need to learn that lesson because we all tend to listen from the point of, is what somebody is saying, does it agree with what I already think? And if it does, then we nod along and we say, yeah, I like that. And if it doesn't, we change the channel and find the news channel that does say the things that we agree with. Because we like things that confirm us because we don't want to be uncomfortable. And, and so we just look for things that, that kind of we can nod along with. And so when Jesus said things and they didn't agree with her, she just pushed back and said, I don't want anything about what to do with that. But it wasn't until the point that she reached the idea of going, what if what he says is true? That she allowed herself to try it on. That she allowed something to break through the resistance. That she began to open herself up to say, what if what he's saying is true? And as soon as she let down that resistance, immediately something began to happen inside of her. I think all of us can find ourselves in the story of this woman at the well and her interaction with Jesus. I think all of us, whether you're being introduced to the story of Jesus for the first time ever, or this is a reintroduction because you've sat in these very pews uh, for decades, all of us can find ourselves in this story. Because all of us have places where we resist, where we want to hear what we've already heard, we want to know what we've already known, we want to think that we've already figured it out. And religious people can oftentimes be the hardest to find transformation because they're convinced that they're already alive. And yet, what if what he's saying is true? What if there is a living water that could bubble up inside of us, that could take us to a place that didn't have to live with pain and brokenness as the story of our life, that might make us different than the world around us, that we could know a freedom and a wholeness that we could never know on our own, and that up till now we haven't known the way that God intends. My hope is that over these next few weeks, and even as we come to this communion table, that we might begin a reintroduction with Jesus and that through it we might lay down our resistance because despite our resistance, Jesus longs to give you life. Pray with me, please. Good Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we thank you that no matter where we are or what we've done or what we think or what stories we believe, that you meet us anyway that you pursue us, that you long for us to know life. And so, Lord, we invite your Spirit to do your work. Lord, help us break through the resistance in our lives. Help us try on your truth. Help us ask the question, what if this is true? What if what he says is the way? Or we don't want to miss the fullness of what you offer. And so even as we prepare to come to this table, would you be at work in us so that we can receive you to the fullest? that we might walk in the way of Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.